following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. Let's talk about Hebrews. So at the time the book of Hebrews was written, a lot of the Jewish people were under the impression that there was no rest for them. So they had missed out on the promised land. After the the children of Israel had lived in the promised land for a while, they go into captivity in Babylon. Now they're in enslavement to Rome, or at least under the rule of Rome. And there was kind of this trending sense in the Jewish community that the rest that God had promised his people was not a rest that they were going to be able to get. And the writer of Hebrews addresses this in the next section. I'm going to have to read a big chunk of Hebrews today just so you understand some of the language that's being used because the writer goes back to the Old Testament to talk about this place of rest, the promised land, so he could talk about the place of rest for followers of Christ. So I'm going to start in chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. I might make a few comments as we go, but generally I'm just going to read this passage of Scripture and then we'll talk about it. Listen now to the voice of the Holy Spirit through what the psalmist wrote. So the psalmist wrote, Today, if you listen to his voice, that is the voice of God, don't harden your hearts the way they did in a bitter uprising at Meribah, where your ancestors tested me, though they had seen my marvelous power. For 40 years they traveled on to the land that I had promised them, and that generation broke my heart. Grieving and angry, I said, their hearts are unfaithful. They don't know what I want from them. That is why I swore in anger they would never enter salvation's rest. So reference back to when the children of Israel, uh, they had to wander for 40 years in the desert before they were able to go into the promised land. Brothers and sisters, pay close attention so you won't develop an evil and unbelieving heart that causes you to abandon the living God. Encourage each other every day, for as long as we still have the today that God gives us to listen to his voice, So that none of you let the deceitfulness of sin harden your hearts. For we have become partners with the anointed one, if we can just hold on to our confidence until the end. I don't know if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about, in this same chapter, another if thing, about if you can keep this. Look at the lines from the psalm again. Today, if you listen to his voice, don't harden your hearts the way they did in a bitter uprising at Meribah. Now, who exactly was God talking to then? Who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all those whom Moses led out of Egypt and who made God angry for an entire generation? Wasn't it those who sinned against him, those whose bodies are still buried in the wilderness, the site of that uprising? It was those disobedient ones who God swore would never enter into salvation's rest. And we could see that they couldn't enter because they did not believe. And now we move into chapter 4. That's why as long as that promise of entering God's rest remains open to us, we should beware. You might have a a translation that says be alarmed or have fear or just have caution. That none of us seem to fall short ourselves. Those people in the wilderness heard God's good news just as we heard it. But the message they heard didn't do them any good since what they heard wasn't combined with faith. But we who believing are entering into salvation's rest. For didn't God say on the seventh day of creation, he rested from all his works? And doesn't God say in the Psalms that the Israelites would never enter into salvation's rest? Now, just a note, because these two quotes can seem kind of odd. 
So Genesis talks about after God's creation was done, God moves into his rest. Then the author of Hebrews makes the point, and yet centuries later, God says that the Israelites could have entered into his rest, but they didn't. So this rest is something that we can enter into. It's ongoing. So if God prepared a place of rest, and those who were given the good news didn't enter because they chose disobedience over faith, then it remains open for us to enter. And once again, God has fixed a day for us to respond, and that day is today. So there still remains a place of rest, a true Sabbath for the people of God, because those who enter into salvation's rest lay down their labors in the same way that God entered into a Sabbath rest from his. So let us move forward to enter this rest, so that none of us fall into the kind of faithless disobedience that prevented them, that is the Israelites, from entering. Okay, that was a big chunk. Let's summarize. Number one, we're in a journey just like the Israelites in which there's the danger that our hearts become hard and bitter. And notice the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who have already given their lives to God. He says the danger here is that in this journey, there could come a point where we really harden our hearts. The going gets tough. There's sin and there's pain and there's suffering. There's all these things that we thought, come on, we're going into the promised land. How hard can this be? And if we're not careful, there's a bitterness that can creep up in us, a hardness of our heart. But there is a place of rest. For the Israelites, it was the promised land. For us, it's this true Sabbath that we're going to talk about this morning. It's open for the people of God. If we harden our hearts, and the writer of Hebrews associates that with disobedience, if we harden our hearts, we won't enter that rest So we've got to hold to our faith, which is going to show itself in our obedience so we don't fall short of this end. Now, this is another passage where I could do five sermons. I'm going to do one today instead of six like I did last week. I want to talk about rest today. And there's some irony in having me talk about rest. So those of you who have come here for a long time, you know that for Much of my adult life, rest was not my strong point. I liked to go, go, go. I wanted to accomplish things. I felt like every moment of my day had to be this time where I was just maximizing whatever gifts and talents God had given me. And my wife said to me for years, you've got to learn to rest. You've got to learn to slow down. But even on the days I tried to rest, I just, I had to be on I had to be focused and I had to accomplish things. And I had people here at church who said, Anthony, you got to slow down. In fact, leadership here at church when I came on staff said, part of your job being a pastor is to stay healthy. Part of the way you stay healthy is you learn how to rest. And I basically said, whatever. I got this. Well, I didn't got this. And I don't know, I I don't remember how many years ago it was now. I'm going to say seven, eight years ago. I just, I had a nervous breakdown, really. I just, I collapsed like I was just physically ill. I went to the doctor for months. They ran all these tests. They couldn't find anything wrong with me in terms of those tests, but I was a mess. You can ask my wife about this. Uh, She can give you more details. When finally Sheila said to me, you're avoiding the elephant in the room. You've worn yourself out. Everybody told you to rest and you didn't rest. And now God and your body is demanding that you rest. 
And so I, I had several months where, and I was youth group leader at the time. I just, I had to take time off. I had to retreat from people. I had to retreat from things. Uh, I had to spend time focusing on how to learn to find the rhythm of rest in God. Um, I had to spend time in repentance. Uh, it was it was a journey. So what I'd like to say is that as a result of that, I came out of that season in my life and I knew how to rest. That's what I would like to say. It only takes so much time before I fall back into those ruts. And next thing you know, I'm going, going, going again. And I don't know if that's why I had a heart attack. Um, the best explanation to this day is probably stress. Uh, so that'll... That'll recalibrate your ideas of rest. And I've talked about this a lot from the pulpit, so I don't want to say too much about it. But I rest since then. Like, I have never rested in my life. Because I can't not rest. For one, I'm just too tired a lot of the time. For two, uh, I don't want to have on my tombstone, he just wouldn't slow down. That's not the epitaph you're looking for, right? So... I say there's some irony about me talking about rest because I, for most of my life, I have not been a poster child on how to rest. But in some ways, I'm also primed to talk about rest because since my heart attack, I have had to learn how to rest. And I don't just mean physically. Uh, I mean emotionally, spiritually, relationally. There's a lot of ways in which I've had to learn what it means to not do but simply to be, and then also to let others do things for me, which can be a humbling thing if you're used to doing things for other people. So we're going to talk about rest this morning because I think rest is important because the Bible says it's important, and because I've learned in my own life that it's important, and because I screwed it up for years, and I'm sure I'm still not doing it right, and I want to because there's something very, very important about learning how to rest. So let's talk a little bit about this promised rest in this passage. So I was reading on this. There's three options that rise to the surface about what this writer is talking about. And I'll tell you the one that I'm partial to when we get there. Well, let me add this yet too. All of the options are things that come up in the entirety of Scripture. So none of them are not found in Scripture. I'll tell you what I think this particular passage is focusing on, but I want to talk about the big picture of what the Bible says about rest. Okay, so option A, this is the rest found in salvation. This is about the rest from the weight of our sin. So the promise of salvation is that when we go to Jesus and we say, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you died for me for the penalty for my sins. My just reward is death. You have taken that punishment onto yourself, and now I am justified. That's the first rest, and probably in the big picture of Scripture, the primary understanding of rest. I don't have to carry with me the load of guilt. I don't have to walk in shame anymore. I don't have to stay awake at night, haunted, wondering, will God forgive me? God will forgive me. It might be hard for people, depending what the situation was, but I know God will forgive me. And I know that God at work in me allows me to overcome those feelings of guilt and shame that can just destroy me. Because of Christ, I can now tell people about my life. 
I, I can acknowledge the things that I've done. I don't have shame about it anymore. I might have regret. That would make sense. If I've sinned against people and hurt them, it makes sense that I have regret. But that's a different thing than shame. I don't have to hide. I don't have to cower because I don't hide and cower in front of Jesus. And if I can be open and honest before the God who forgives me, that's what counts. I can be open and honest with everybody else. I don't have to carry that burden. Uh, The story of Pilgrim's Progress is such a great vision of this. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it's just an extended parable. And this young man, when we meet him, he's got this huge burden on his back of all the sins in his life. And when he finally gets to the cross and finds freedom, that burden just rolls off of his back. That's the idea of this first kind of rest that we find in salvation. It's the rest of justification and the peace of our conscience. I could add a little side note. We can rest from trying to earn our salvation. We'll never be good enough to earn God's salvation. This is a gift that he gives us. Right, so we rest from that as well. But this is the first rest. I am freed from the weight of guilt and sin and shame. I can relax in Christ. He knows me. He loves me. He fully knows me. He fully loves me. I rest in that. The second option, and this is the one I'm partial to, is the primary meaning of this particular passage. Is that this is about entering into the rest of the fullness of the Christian life after salvation. So the Israelites are going to Canaan, going to the promised land. And this is this land the Bible describes it as flowing with milk and honey, which might not sound that appealing to us today because it's kind of sticky and gross. To the Israelites, flowing with milk probably meant they had all the goats they wanted. Sorry, it was probably goat's milk. Uh, but that meant... The goats could thrive. This means it's a lush land. It means probably it's fairly safe, maybe safer than most lands. This honey is probably the honey from dates or figs, though it's probably wild bees also. But that means you've got orchard. Things are growing. Everything is thriving. Like this is the perfect ecosystem, so to speak, in which you can live. I think the Old Testament also often shows us physical realities that are meant to point towards spiritual realities for us in the new covenant. So this is a land of plenty. It's a land of flourishing. I'll go back to if this is a perfect physical ecosystem, there's going to be a promise to us as being invited to live in this perfect spiritual ecosystem. So I'm thinking of this as the refining rest of sanctification. I'm going to explain what I mean by this. It's when God does a work in us in the midst of our living in a land of plenty. So when we give our life to Jesus, we become one of his. This is the first sense of rest. Our burdens roll away. We now move into this promised land. And Jesus said, I'm here to offer you life more abundant. I think this life you can't imagine that is full of these spiritual riches that Jesus will offer to us. So I was thinking this week, what does this free us from so that we can rest? This is just a very partial list. We're free from working to earn God's love. If the first rest was we can't earn salvation by our works, in the land of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, we don't earn God's love by our works. 
We don't have to keep doing, 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 doing for God to love us. God loves us. In spite of our flaws and failures, in the midst of our flaws and failures. Now, he's going to work in us, right? He's going to continue to work in us to address these issues. He's not content to leave us where we are. But we're free to, to work to earn God's love. I don't, I don't have to go to God in prayer and say, God, do you realize what I did for you today? How awesome am I? I, I don't have to ever pray that. The question isn't how awesome I am. The question is how awesome God is. And God is awesome enough that he loves me. Full stop. We're free from hiding ourselves from others. I am more and more convinced that one of the most powerful tools God has given us in his kingdom to be refined into the image of Christ is transparency and honesty. Living in openness, not hiding ourselves from other people. There's just freedom in letting others see who we are. We don't have to hide. We can rest in Christ's view of us, that Christ loves us, and it gives us the strength to go to others and let ourselves be seen. We don't have to be overcome by fear and worry. We can rest in the provision of God. We rest in the presence of God. I don't know what tomorrow brings. This has been one of my big hurdles in the last two and a half years. Man, you feel a little fluttering in your chest and you're like, I don't know what's coming up. Listen, I don't know what's coming up. And I got to make a choice. Do I live in that fear and anxiety that comes with that? And it'll, it'll jack up, man, let me tell you. It'll rise pretty fast for me. Okay, do I live in that? Or do I live in the assurance that God is with me? His plan for me is perfect. I am in his hands. What will happen will not happen out of sight of God. That's what I have to rest in. Have to rest in that at the end of the day. I can rest from needing control of my life or needing to control the lives of others. I can rest from showing unrighteous judgment. I, I don't... Oh, there's a righteous judgment. You can pick up my footnotes to, to see about that. But when I think of unrighteous judgment, it's unfairly judging others. Or it's also when I judge others so that I feel better about myself or so that I look better compared to others. I don't have to look better than anybody else. I don't have to elevate myself by pushing someone else down. Let's go back to I'm resting in Christ. In salvation, God knows me. I mean... This is reality. I'm not hiding anything from him. I'm not elevating myself in his eyes. I'm free from elevating myself in the eyes of others. I'm free from harboring unforgiveness and nursing unrepentance. And there is rest in learning how to repent. And there is rest in learning how to forgive. I'm free from being controlled by jealousy or bitterness or envy or anger or lust. Or you make the list of sins. I am free from the control and power of sin. I rest in the power of God. I rest in the power of God. So now I live in this land of spiritual milk and honey. And it looks something like this. I'm really into lists today. This is once again real partial. Uh, I now live in a land of righteousness, which means simply walking in the right way. And I live in a land where the spiritual ecosystem is primed to help me do this. Power of God, the Holy Spirit in me, his word that I can read, his people around me to stay close to me. 
Without Christ, I'm just not going to walk in righteousness. But with Christ, now I'm free to do that. And there is rest in walking with right in righteousness. You don't fear reaping what you sow. You don't figure out how to hide things about your life from people. That's taxing. That's exhausting. There's rest in the freedom of walking in righteousness. Uh, I'm free to love, and there is rest in love. We talked a couple months ago how love covers this multitude of sins. When I seek, and this is the agape love idea, when I seek the best for others around me, with no sense that they need to repay me or reward me for this, there's rest in that. Because if I'm always on this quid pro quo kind of level, I'll do this for you. You better do something for me in return. Uh, and if not, this friendship's going to end. This Christian idea of agape is that because Christ gave to me, it fully gave to me. He didn't take from me. He gave to me. I can fully give to others and not worry about taking from them. So I don't, I don't start to get bitter if people don't respond like I think they should respond. I don't get angry if I'm overlooked. I don't get depressed if nobody knows what a good job I'm doing loving others. I just love and I can rest in that kind of love. It frees me from waiting for a response. This land of milk and honey is full of peace. Primarily peace between us and God now. It's salvation, we're good. Jesus has bridge that gap between our sinful selves and a holy God, and now I'm at peace with God as a follower of Christ. And that spills over into peace with others. I rest in the patience that God gives me, specifically enduring or continuing through hardship with God's grace. I rest in my ability to now be kind, with the help of Christ, showing grace and mercy to others in ways I never could before. Before there was anger, there was bitterness, there was frustration. God, help me to be kind. This is what your kingdom offers to me. I can give grace and mercy. The kingdom of God helps me to be gentle, which I think is just sensitivity and kindness given by the stronger to the weaker. All of us are stronger than somebody else around us in some way. Gentleness is when those who have strength use that strength to protect, to care, to cherish. Outside of the kingdom of God, I think our default is use our, our default is to use our strength to get power and to exercise power in a way that benefits us. In the kingdom of God, we're given power for others. And now, instead of this rat race of getting what's mine, getting everything I can, having to have more, 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 more money, more friends, I I can rest in that whatever God has given me, he's given me to serve. I'm not constantly worried about what I can achieve. I'm worried about honoring God in my gentleness. There is self-control in this land of milk and honey. Have you ever had times in your life where you've been out of control in some way? This could be anger, addictions, gossip, jealousy. There was just things in your life that uh, they had their way. At the end of the day, they had their way with you. 
and then to find freedom from that when you're no longer in the chains of sin and now you have self-control? It won't be, by the way, because you're so awesome. It'll be because God in you is awesome and gives you a power and a strength that you did not have before. This is what's offered to us in the kingdom of God. Uh, Purity. There's rest in purity. And by impurity, I'm just thinking of anything that makes us guilty or that is, um, that's not innocent. And we often associate it with sex, but it can be in many areas of life. There's guilt that comes with impurity. There's a hiddenness. We know, right? We know what we don't want others to see. You don't rest in hiding. Uh, And when we pursue the path of righteousness, in this case, the path of purity, there's freedom in that. There's rest. There's no worrying who sees the history on your computer. There's no worrying who uses your phone. Oh, that's rest, friends. That's rest. So in this land, we have true freedom to begin to thrive, not just as image bearers, but as children of God and as brothers and sisters of Jesus. But I also think there's another part to this. When the children of Israel first saw the promised land, they all agreed, this looks awesome. But a whole bunch of them said, but we don't want to go in there. Because in this case, there were giants in the land. So the promised land is, is primed. It is situated for us to flourish. But if I'm correct, that Old Testament physical realities point toward some New Testament spiritual realities. We're going to have to take the land. God gives it to us. But it doesn't mean it's a land of complete ease. Like once you give your life to Jesus, it's all rainbows and bunnies. Right? Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost if you want to follow me. So if we're going to move into that promised land, we got to strap on that spiritual armor of God. We're going to have to be ready to take that territory that has been given to us. I even think of how this is a land flowing with milk and honey. So lots of goats, lots of bees and fig trees. Goats are hard to herd. I'm not a goat herder. I've just heard this. Uh, you got to chase them up rocky mountainsides and it's not necessarily easy. So it's going to take some work. You got to protect them from predators. You're going to have to harvest the figs and prune the trees. If you're going to get honey from wild bees, you got your work cut out for you. I saw the jungle book. I know how hard it is to get to that high-hanging honeycomb. Right, so, so this promised land, it is a land in which everything is given. But it doesn't mean we passively go into this land. We, we go in and take the land that has been promised to us. We can't get into the land on our own power. This is the land God opens the doors through salvation, ushers us in. But we've got to be ready to fight for the things in the kingdom that God has given to us. So we won't be missing anything. We won't be lacking any kind of provision. But the Bible is full of commands to seek God and seek ye first the kingdom of God. And as I was reading through lots of references this week, some of those seek God have to do with 
If you are not a follower of Jesus, seek God. God is faithful to respond to you. So we're talking about salvation. But some of the verses seem to be saying that as a Christian, that seeking continues. We don't ever become passive and lazy and lax in the kingdom of God. And there is a reward that follows seeking God. I was thinking of the Chronicles of Narnia this week. If any of you have read this, there's this phrase that Lewis keeps using as, as these children from earth go into Narnia. Onward and upward is this idea. You keep going into Narnia because there's more to find. And at the end, after the last battle, when they go into the true Narnia, like the true rest, they go into the true Narnia, and once again, it's onward and upward for eternity. There is a depth and a richness of Narnia that they will never stop exploring. And I think of that as the Christian life. I think, for one, in the life to come, there's a depth and richness we'll never stop exploring. But I think we get hints of it or we prepare for it on this side of heaven in the kingdom of God. There's a depth and a richness to following Christ that we never stop exploring. I think I've mentioned, I found this in Hebrews where just 20 minutes spent with some people last Wednesday uh, praying and talking about one passage of scripture. I just realized it's not one sermon, it's six. Good grief, there is so much here. Those of you who have been Christians all your life, does the Bible ever get shallow? It just gets deeper. The more time you spend with it, the deeper you dig, the more treasure you find. I think the kingdom of heaven is like that. Life together with each other, scripture, prayer, all these things. There's this, there's this promised land that we live in now that's a foretaste of heaven. And it's deep and it's rich and it's beautiful. We got to take the land that's been given to us. We can't be passive. We got to go get it. And why I'm including this in rest, because I don't know, that might just sound like work. What I have found, to the extent that I have done this, and I'm not putting myself on a pedestal here, to the extent that I have done what I'm recommending we all do, I have found deep reward in that, primarily spiritual rest. Now, I think what follows from that is because I think walking the path of righteousness brings its own reward. It's rest from guilt, rest from hiddenness, rest from all these things that that bring stress and anxiety and things like this in your life. What follows is just a rest in a lot of ways. But that's why you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all those other things are added. So we're just onward and upward, friends, into the kingdom of God. And it might sound like work, but I think you'll be shocked at how it feels like rest. Okay, option C. We rest forever in the life to come. And this is the rest of glorification. That one day we'll never be weary. We never have pain. There is no more tears. All the beautiful promises of scripture. But the best promise is that we see Jesus in his fullness and in his glory. And then I think this rest in eternity is this onward and upward. Into Christ. Into his new creation. This new heaven and earth. In ways we can't imagine The kingdom now is meant to be a foretaste of the kingdom to come. 
That's a whole other series of sermons right there, right? Talking about heaven. We could talk about that more in Message Plus. But here's what stands out to me about these three things. It's three phases. All of them, I would say, are part of salvation. And they're all part of rest. They Together, they tell the full picture of what's being offered us. So I'd call the first one past tense salvation. You were justified. If you are a follower of Christ, there's a time in your life you committed your life to Jesus. You accepted the penalty he took upon himself for your sins. It's what we call justification. So we're freed from the eternal penalty of sin, and now we rest in the justification of God. Then there's present tense salvation. First Corinthians talks about those of us who are being saved. And it was a letter to people already in the church. I think here's where we're offered rest from the controlling power of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. And now we rest in the plentiful land of the kingdom. So chains of sin gone. I now live in this perfect spiritual ecosystem where it's designed to help me thrive as a child of God. And then there's future tense salvation. First John, we will be like him for we'll see him as he is. That's when we move into a reality that is free from even the presence of sin. And we're moving into the glorification that's promised to God's people. And in my final five minutes, I just want to talk about one way that I think we begin to experience the reality of this kind of rest. I've already talked about Bible reading, prayer, getting together with others, all all those things are important. But I want to talk just for a couple minutes about Sabbath rest. That God designed our lives to be lived in such a way that there is a rhythm of rest to our lives. And that rhythm of rest is meant to point us toward Christ, but also to remind us of a number of important things. Uh, I, I read a commentary this week where the guy was pointing out Breaking Sabbath rest is the only thing in Western culture that we as Christians brag about and other people applaud us. Have you ever heard someone say, I haven't had a day off in two months with a real sense of accomplishment? And people around them go, that's pretty amazing. Is that uncomfortable? Because that's a command. That's a command I broke for years in my life. I was pretty, see, Sunday is not my rest day because I'm a pastor, so I'm on on Sundays. That was my excuse not to honor Sabbath for I don't know how many years. And I was proud of that. I am so important to God's work on this world. I can't take any time off. I haven't a day off in two months. Uh, That's to your shame. You need to repent. And I I say that because I'm a person convicted by that. I'm not up here pointing fingers. And I know some of you have jobs, first responders, things like that. There's some things you can't get out of, but I'll bet it's not seven days a week. And I know it shouldn't be. Sabbath is designed. It's one of the big ten, right? In the Old Testament, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's a big deal. It's right next to don't murder people. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We can talk in Message Plus about ways in which we keep the Sabbath holy, but I think this is crucial. We are meant to take times in our schedule in our life 
to rest so that we understand what it means to rest, but also so we can focus and remind ourselves that God is a God of rest and that when he offers us rest, he wants us to rest in him and to recover and to be refreshed and to love life. It's a command that's for our good. God's not against us when he tells us to rest. He's for us. And uh, in two minutes, I get 30 seconds for each of these. One, we are reminded that our identity is in Christ. My identity is not based on what I accomplish, or at least it shouldn't be. My identity as a Christian, if, if it's how I look, if it's what I do, if it's what people think of me, if it's um, you name whatever kind of marker you have in terms of things that you do, that cannot be our identity as Christians. Our identity is in Christ. And at least one day a week, we stop doing these things that threaten to give us our identity. And we take a break and we go, no, this is not the thing that defines me. Christ defines me. At least one day a week, it will not have power over me. The second thing is we're reminded our securities in Christ. It can be easy to go, like I have a tendency to do, and like I did for so many years, to go, um, God needs me today because if it's not me, nobody else will do it. I am that important. Do you, do you, does that sound arrogant as I say it? I hope it does, because it is. It's not like God doesn't use us, right? But God's not wringing his hands when we've taken a day off. Going, Anthony, you're just sitting there playing games with your family. God's got this. God's got this. He tells you to rest. He tells me to rest. He has a plan on how the world will go on without us when we rest. Thank you, Ken. Third, our restoration is in Christ. Now, I think Sabbath can be a lot of things, and I I think Sabbath can include just recreation and hanging out. But I think the Sabbath idea needs to have a focus that brings us back to God. We remember that it is God who restores us. If my week is uh, just crazy busy and I'm exhausted on Friday night, I'm like, Saturday is going to be my Sabbath. It's like I'm getting up at 11 and making pancakes and watching football and having wings. That's the day. That's, can you write that down for next Saturday, Sheila? Um, I, that's really appealing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if that's all my Sabbath is... I don't think I'm going to be rested and restored. Jesus is my rest and my restoration. Now, he gives me gifts that help me to relax and be restored physically, right? But it needs to be a day where I am consciously thanking God for the rest that he gives. And it might be, thank you for these wings. But it's got to be, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this identity I have in you. Thank you that you've got this. You've got the world while I take time. Uh, It's got to be a focus on Christ and his goodness to us in some fashion. And then finally, on, on Sabbath, we remember that our hope is in Christ. Because I think this rest 
physically that we take is meant to point to our rest spiritually on this side of heaven in our promised land. And that's meant to remind us of the rest that is to come. The hope that is set before us. So my encouragement, friends, is to rest. And and like I said, I say this as a guy who's an odd person to say it because it's, it's been such a problem in my life. But I'm a guy who's slowly figuring it out and praying that God helps me to help, helps us to become so deeply embedded in the rhythm of my life that I always more fully begin to understand what it means not just to rest, but to rest in Christ and the hope that that gives me in this life and in the next. So Lord, I'm grateful that you're a God of rest. I'm grateful that you're a patient God as we all try to figure out how to do it. I'm grateful that you're a forgiving God. I know in my own life, um, you were patient and faithful with me in all the years. I just refused to rest. And you're patient and faithful with me now as I am still figuring this out. So I'm just really glad that uh, I'm not that your love for me didn't depend on my ability to rest or, or any of those things, that I rest in your faithfulness. But I pray, Lord, that that rest doesn't become laziness or taking things for granted. Empower us, Lord, to move more deeply into your kingdom, into the, the fullness of your promises, into this life that you've offered us in Christ. And as we do that, Lord, may we more fully understand the beauty of Jesus and of our salvation, and may our witness for you be all that more clear. And as we witness for you, may those around us see the glory of Christ in our rest. And may this all be done for the furtherance of your kingdom, for your glory. Amen. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.